There is a huge need for leadership now more than ever. This is a core focus for Empowered in My Skin, and we will be leveraging every opportunity to push out content that will help develop and cultivate the leadership spirit in as many people as possible. One billion humans is our number. In a four-part series, we will cover four key emerging leadership skills with John Collinson. John is a favorite on our podcast with well over 26 years of experience in leadership. He has a vault of information that he is generously opening up about to help you, the listener, strengthen your unique leadership toolkit. Every episode in this series is geared towards helping you, the seasoned, developing, or emerging leader, strengthen your potential, ability, and aspiration for higher levels of impact and influence. The first skill that we'll tackle is technology intelligence, also known as TI. This skill enables companies to identify the technological opportunities and threats that could affect the future growth and survival of their business. It aims to capture and disseminate the technological information needed for strategic planning and decision-making. As technology life cycles shorten and businesses become more globalized, having effective TI capabilities is becoming increasingly important. Yes, so let's get right into this interview. In this particular episode, we are tackling technology intelligence, John, a skill that leaders of today and emerging leaders need to be future ready. So very excited to tap your brain and your experience. And uh, and how would I just start with like a really first question, just have you explain for our listeners to you, what is technology intelligence and why is this such a leading skill? So for me, technology intelligence is 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 the skill all around. You know what I describe, I guess, the the, the how we get things done, mm-hmm. right? It, you know, in, in as a technologist, it's understanding the evolution of technology, the evolution of implementation. You know, I've had a twenty six plus year career. You know, some people ask me, how do you stay current twenty six years after you went to school? And the reality is, the the core theory and the concepts haven't evolved, you know, radically over 26 years. They're, they're, they're refinements of the implementation, but the pure computer science back to grassroots academic principles is still the same. Mm. Now, when quantum computing comes into play, that's going to be a whole, holy crap, what happened, right? <laughs> we're not there yet, right? Um, right. So, you know, from a techni- technology or technical intelligence perspective, I always put it in the box of, do you understand the tools in your toolbox, how you leverage those tools to then, you know, pull a solution together. And it's all about staying current on understanding what those tools are and how they can be used together to solve more complicated problems. And the importance of the skill and in your experience, what have you observed? Do you feel leaders today are, are, is this something that they're, they're grasping or are you saying that this is an area of where there's some scarce scarcity? No, I think it's I, I think it's actually a, a skill that's getting more more recognition, mm-hmm. not less. Uh, you know, when I think about when my career journey started many years ago, a lot of technologists were led by non-technologists, mm-hmm. people that had come from other disciplines, because computer science at the time that I came through it was still, you know, not necessarily fully into the mainstream as a you know as a discipline that people focused in on you know, from a career path perspective. Mm-hmm. 
today, as we hire leaders and, and you know, we're actually looking for experienced technologists, engineers to lead engineers, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, the people that led me in the early part of my career and probably you as well, um, you know, were people that had learned computer science concepts, but had another background, you know, we, you know, you know, one of our recent CIOs that just retired was a chartered accountant by profession, right? All right. Still a great leader, but, you know, I think as we've recognized how to get the most out of technology to solve business problems, you need leaders uh, that understand technology because the complexity of figuring out how to leverage the next nuance of that technology and convincing le- uh, you know, non-technical leaders the business rationale and why there's a valid business mm-hmm. case for that investment mm-hmm. is, is a lot more difficult now uh, without having the knowledge to explain and yeah. play translator in that role. Yeah. And I understand that. I mean, we happen to, for the listeners, we happen to work at the same company and that's one of the things I've observed in terms of the leaders that are being hired more in the, especially on the infrastructure side. I'm seeing that they are coming from that, having that deep either engineering background or, really technical background, but also very strong leadership in order to be able to lead those teams effectively. So the last two years, John, um, what have, you know, what have you observed as it relates to this? And, um, and even yourself, what have you had to double down on to really catch up to where we are from a technology perspective? Well, I think first of all, the, you know, the healthcare side of the last two years as it relates to the pandemic is all a lot taught, taught us all that we need to challenge our own assumptions on what technology, how technology can be leveraged. Right. So, you know, if someone had asked me three years ago, you know, could we send everybody home and work from home for the next two years? I would have laughed. I remember raising the concern and funny, it came to reality about two weeks ago. <laughs> Um, you know, could could the residential network providers actually provide quality of service that would actually sustain the fact that everybody just shifted from the office to their house? Mm-hmm. You know, are the networks in the ground or on the poles Robust. in residential areas, do they have enough capacity to deal with the fact that everyone's sitting in their house all day now, not sitting at the office all day, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it some of it is, uh, you know, from a technical knowledge or technological knowledge perspective, isn't just about how do I build a piece of software? It's about how does the network work? How does the infrastructure work? Mm-hmm. How does the power grid work? Because mm-hmm. all, those are all bare bones foundations we all take for granted. But mm-hmm. the software doesn't work if you don't understand how the software talks to the device somewhere else in the world, yeah. right? Um, it, it's a it's a concept that that you know when we think about technological intelligence, it's understanding the depth of the stack. Yeah. And, and where, where are the challenges? Where are the opportunities? You know, we successfully made that pivot, not just our organization, but Many. most of the planet, right? Uh, and, and, and that's great, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't without a lot of heavy lifting by a lot of organizations to suddenly realize, wow, we got to change fast here because mm-hmm. we're not actually ready for this, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the things I found was interesting, because of all people, because I kind of find you, you're very much a thinker, right? So three years ago, you're saying that if somebody had told you that, you would have said, you didn't really complete, would you have said no, not possible? 
I would have said it was going to be a bumpy road. Okay. It, I, in honesty, I think it was a lot smoother than I would have envisioned it to be. If okay. you, you know, right when when we were heading home and and uh, you know we put different processes in place to say how are we going to deal with the unknown because we've never put this many people remote mm-hmm. in one day before, mm-hmm. right? And um, and so. Uh, you know, you just, uh, you don't know how it's going to yeah. behave and, and we've never tested, uh, you know, our, our, our residential telecommunications infrastructures like that. The yeah. power grid, I wasn't worried about it. It was more around, you know, could all the various internet providers that service the little corners of this planet, and, you know, you know, even in Ontario, you know, we, we talk about there being, you know, various monopolies, but. Like I live in a rural area. None of the big three providers provide me internet service. So I was worried about whether the little round, the, you know, <laughs> mom and pop shop that runs the internet around here was actually going to hold up. Right. right. Um, it's funny. They held up better than the big ones, right? Cause I can barely get a cell, so, cell phone service at home, right? I have to live off Wi-Fi assist. So, you know, whether it's that level of technical intelligence around, you know, or, or, you know, how's the world going to evolve? You think about the fact that you and I are having this conversation mm-hmm. and we happen to be recording it on, on a, a web presence, uh, you know, web meeting presence. This company that we're meeting on, really nobody knew who the heck they were two years ago. So you, so you think about, you think about all of the, you know, you know, universities have figured out how to teach courses for the last two years and proctor exams in a manner that, you know, hopefully prevents plagiarism and, and cheating, mm-hmm. you know, companies have figured out how to meet virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually disconnected my work landline because I never use it. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm t- talking to somebody at work, I now talk through zoom. If I talk through or through my cell phone, yeah. Yeah. I don't use the old 10 digit yeah. phone yeah. number that I used yeah. to use yeah. to call everybody in the, in the organization. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, you know, this technical intelligence concept comes from the fact that we have to adapt, we change, you know, you know but you have to be able to link things together. Mm-hmm. So when we pivoted to home, you know, contact centers suddenly had to figure out how to pivot. They've always worked in one location with high volume pipes. And now you needed a contact center to route the call to somebody's house mm-hmm. and they can mm-hmm. still answer it. And mm-hmm. But that that whole concept is gonna, you know, is changing how we think about a lot of things now. Because as we come back to office, now we're morphing for a third time, mm-hmm. right? If you think about, we were in a state, we moved to a state. Okay, call it morphing for a second time, but we're in a third state. Yeah. Right now we're like, how do we get the best of both worlds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that'll create different thinking as well. Yeah, already. So you talked about, you touched on it very early in, 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 as you started to talk about, you know, explaining and defining technology intelligence. And you talked about how you stay current. Well, you talked about that you stay current. So very interested in that. Um, yeah. And very, you know, just very vulnerably. I used to be really, I, I prided myself, especially when I started here working in ITS, just because I used to work in the data centers, always constantly having to stay up to date on the latest technologies. You know, with all of the emerging technologies that are coming up, it is. It's rapid. It's it's a, it's a lot. And so how do you stay current? And can you maybe offer up some tangible tips to our listeners and even emerging leaders that are listening to this on ways that they can they can actually apply this daily? Oh, boy. Uh, there's lots of tips. Uh, I would start with 
I don't try to stay current to the same level of detail that I stood current 25 years ago. 25 years ago, I was hands-on keyboard writing software. You know, I was a practitioner of mm-hmm. the craft, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, in a practical manner. Uh, as I've evolved into you know, architecture roles and now senior technology, you know, leadership strategy roles, I find what's important is to understand the various ideas and concepts to a level of detail that is sufficient to know that I'm going to get to the right general frame up of how we could use the solution and then challenge the team to say, I think there's viability to this. I need you guys to go drill down on it and go, what am I missing? You know, where are the risks and, and be able to take it to that next level of detail. Because as you evolve through a career path, at least if I think of mine, I went from new grad out of school that knew the basics academically. You kind of build this specialization or level of detail experience. And then you actually, when you switch to becoming more of a broader leader, that kind of goes back this way. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that staying technically uh, up to date isn't important, but you don't have to memorize everything and know, you know, like I can still code if I needed to, but I don't, so mm-hmm. I, I don't have it all right sitting in the bed, but I know exactly where to go to look it up. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the important part. It's, you know, to, to I, I talk about, I work off a pointer based memory system. I remember where to look things up. I don't okay. have to remember everything that I have to know. Okay. Right. And I've always used that approach for probably mm-hmm. 20 plus years, because if you try to memorize anything, your head's going to explode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, you know, what I do is I read a lot of articles. I share a lot of articles on social media for the benefit of others. Uh, I keep current in the dialogue with various people, both in our organizational community and in my network, mm-hmm. where I believe understanding that information is important. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But as I alluded to earlier, it doesn't take that much energy in a lot of cases. If you've still got a good grasp of the underpinning theory, mm-hmm. it, you know you can draw the line from you know, reusable code libraries mm-hmm. to, you know, um, you know, reusable objects to, you know, dynamically linked libraries and then into, you know, uh, distributed, uh, you know, com in the Microsoft world and then eventually into web services and then APIs. Like mm-hmm. all we've done, that's all the same theoretical evolution of code reuse. It's just we continue to make it loosely, you know, make the coupling looser and looser and looser yeah. to allow us to, have greater flexibility, greater scalability, greater uh, opportunity for reuse, reuse across heterogeneous systems, mm-hmm. right? They're all this. They're all grounded on the same principle, which is we want to reuse the intellectual property we created in this asset. Mm-hmm. And over the last um, you know, 25, 30, 40 years, you know, we've just continued to refine that model, mm-hmm. right? And so as I look at things like the cloud, well, you can take elements of the cloud and go, well, some people don't like it when I use these analogies, but there's a lot of principles of the mainframe that apply in the cloud because you're taking a large fixed capacity entity and running multiple workloads on it. But the way we're hosting those workloads and dividing those workloads and is different in the cloud, but the principle is the same. I'm trying to maximize the potential of having a centrally managed computing mm-hmm. capability, but I'm doing it now in a dis- more, much more distributed way than we used to yeah. do it. You know, 
and but you get away from a lot of the problems that go with the distributed physical instances and having to patch mm-hmm. everything you know, in their spot and all of that, right? So again, it's the evolution of the paradigm that helps me gain the understanding. Sure, there's nuanced details around, okay, when do I use Kubernetes versus other technologies? Like those things I'm going to trust the subject matter experts on. I know those concepts exist. Yes. I know that I need to go have that conversation if I got to that level of detail with people, but I know that we also have good people in our organization and understand that stuff. And I, mm. I trust them. And yeah. that's a big part of it. You don't solve a problem solely on your own, having yeah. a quality network of people that are trusted, uh, you know, counselors and advisors with different experiences. That, that's a key part of the, the, the success yeah, factor of yeah. getting big problems solved is yeah. surrounding yourself with, diverse experiences and diverse perspectives. And that's very, and that's very interesting. So if we just talk about different levels of leadership, right? So you're going to have sort of first line managers, you're going to have senior managers and you're going to have, you know, just sort of different levels of executive, you know, um, love, love what you just laid out in terms of tactics, in terms of how to keep ourselves current network, I think is hugely important, but you know, how would you, you know, talking to each of those, you know, sort of middle, like middle management, more senior management, what can you share with them so that they understand how much depth they should go to each of those different levels? Cause I think that's important. That's a difficult question to answer because it depends on the context of the leader's role. Mm-hmm. So if they're a leader that's leading a team of, subject matter expert DBAs, Mm. right? Then, you know, I would expect that they're going to need to spend a lot of time also being a fairly proficient subject matter expert in the DBA space, Mm -hmm. right? If they're a leader that's leading a team of system integrators that are taking database application, package product, Mm -hmm. and trying to string this together into a, it's a different focus. So you have to tune your focus to, are you trying to be a I-shaped person? And when I say an I-shaped person, that's someone that goes very deep mm-hmm. in one dimension of technology. Then, And if you're a leader in that construct, then your focus is making sure you're still a deep technologist that's going to be do well in that particular pillar and can get the most out of the people you lead that are also deep technologists in that yes. particular pillar, yeah. right? Uh, you know, if you're a, more of a T-shaped uh, or I like to sometimes call M-shaped uh, person, right? And the reason I say M is I put myself in the M category, not the T category, is a T-shaped is someone with a lot of breadth but only typically goes deep in one area. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I look at my background, I would say I went, I had a lot of breadth, but I also had multiple areas I could go very deep in, mm-hmm. right? So I wouldn't qualify as a T because I have more than one depth. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's, that's. And that's where you get to the M. You don't, so you you don't hear people talk about M. No, I, I, I don't. I've never heard M before. <laughs> I, I know people that are more, you know, the people that fall into the full stack developer space, yeah. I think of more M shaped people oh. in that they can develop code in multiple languages. Yeah. They can configure multiple mm-hmm. elements of the stack and they still have good the breadth. breadth. and. Oh. Right, oh, the width right. of the M, and then you have the depth. Yeah. On the, ah, I've never right. heard of the M before. So, so is that a John thing, or is that, that an actual? Because I know that the T and the I, 
I know I use it. Okay. I don't know if I've ever seen it written down, but I don't fit into the T or the I, so I created M for Mike. Created M, okay. You might have created something new. I've <laughs> I, never... I don't know if I actually created it or whether I plagiarized it and I don't realize it, but <laughs> either way, uh, that's that's why I refer to them as M-shaped people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think, you know, if you're managing a team of full-stack developers that need to understand a number of dimensions, then you definitely as the leader want to make sure you're focusing on the breadth mm -hmm. because all of those different T or M shaped people are going to have different depths. And what you then need to be clear on is how do I leverage each of these pieces of my puzzle to the maximum potential of us solving a problem. Mm -hmm. So if you have versatility in a person that has two or three depths mm -hmm. and not so much versatility in a person that has one depth, well, you may shuffle the deck chairs away to mm -hmm. maximize the, the experience of that person with, uh, you know, a singular expertise mm -hmm. and then leverage the expertise of the others, you know, that mm -hmm. may be in multiple dimensions to round out, you know, how you get whatever problem it is you're trying to solve accomplished and how you get the best out of, you know, that team from a success perspective. And I'm just curious because now I'm really, so you talked about you started as a programmer and you could probably still go and program today. How did, how did you make that shift to leadership? Was it something that people saw in you and, and, you know, sort of guided you that way? Or is it, did you, did John notice the leader in him and, and have this desire to start leading people? Like what, what was your, what was your transition? Um, it'll be an interesting linkage between this conversation and the emotional intelligence conversation, because uh, my career path definitely started on the technology intelligence side and mm -hmm. evolved to the emotional intelligence side. Uh, um, I've always been a, uh, academically smart individual that that was not a challenge for me you know through school right um so coming in and starting to lead wasn't an issue um and i think that academic confidence is also bled through in helping others learn even though i wasn't there so to me i've always said that leadership isn't just goes with the title of being a manager it goes with how well can you yeah. influence the peers beside you and you know, lead as a peer rather than lead as a as a manager or in a hierarchical fashion, mm -hmm. right? And I would say I didn't I didn't lead people from a management of people perspective at any significant scale for the first 10, 12 years of my career, right? Mm -hmm. My my influence over people was through leading as a peer mm -hmm, right and helping them and us you know mm -hmm. learn from each other and be better as a group mm -hmm. right and and then you know from there i you know got interested in the and went to various leaders and said how do i get your job okay. and then they gave me you know the coaching that i needed and put me in the right situations to grow various elements of my breadth from an experiential perspective and from a leadership perspective to uh, you know, to be ready from our organization's perspective for me to take on some of those roles. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, I've, I've had great sponsors and mentors over the years that have just coached me, and uh, uh, many of which you know. And, uh, you know, it's just, you kind of played from there. But uh, if you'd asked me about 12 years into my career, was I ever going to be an executive leader? It was not even on my radar. Mm. It wasn't, it was not. You know, that was around the time I started to think about it. But, yeah. you know, I would say I was a late bloomer relative to many that, you know, I know have made that shift into the management level and the leadership level is um, I always thought of myself as, you know, 
I'm going to be a really smart technical architect. That's what I'm going to do for my whole life. And then I realized I could influence outcomes in a different way by using that in partnership with really understanding how to, uh, you know, work with people and deliver outcomes. And, you know, my architectural skill went from being, how do I solve the problem of this box to, you know, how do I architect for delivery? And then how are we going to solve really large, complex delivery pro, pro problems that happen to also be technical. Yeah. And I think that that's really become, that's your superpower, right? And that's what you've, Definitely. Well, that's what I see on the outside. I would say that's the core part of my brand now. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, So one of the the last, getting to the end of this, um, as we start to think about automating processes, and even on today, I I think that we have metrics around how many manual processes that we're going to shift to automation. Uh, So one of the, love to talk to you about, you know, if you think there are any drawbacks to business automating processes in this current age, or should we try to automate as much as possible? Or is it a mix? Is it a finding that I, I think I think it's a mix. I think it's a... I think there's a lot of positives to automation. And, you know, some people make the, autom- you know, make the argument around automation creates job loss. Mm. Automation, actually, in my mind, and the data seems to support this. Yes, it does create some form of job loss in a particular type of job. But when you look at the ecosystem, our economies and our you know ecosystems have evolved. So the total number of jobs still exists as the state change. So the retooling becomes important. So I think from that dimension, I think, you know, the the world rebalances every time we make one of these automation decisions. So I'm less concerned about do we automate? Mm. I think the thing I when, when I when when I saw the tri- the question about automation in the pre-read, um, the thing that triggered in my head is that there's a a lot of technical intelligence required in knowing when and how to automate processes. And the reason I say that is our systems and our current processes are designed generally speaking, to be performed by humans. Mm -hmm. Humans work at a very specific pace. Mm -hmm. So if you then go and automate a process that used to take a person 30 minutes per per execution of the process, and now you can do all of those repetitive tasks for all of the people doing those in five minutes because you sped them up and had a computer do them at their pace versus the human pace, Mm then you also have to have thought through the technical implications Mm -hmm. of that decision because the systems that those people were working on were used to people keying in at a certain pace. And now all of the data is coming into that system in five minutes instead of over the course of 24 hours spread out by, you know, however many people are typing, right? So you have to recognize, is my system actually capable of keeping up with the automation you just created, right? So... To, this is to me that question tri- probably triggers someplace you didn't expect yeah, to go. No, but it, I not expect you to go. He's probably looking at my. I'm like, that's brilliant. I never, and I know we don't really often have those conversations. Sorry, go in. Yeah, so I'm. So to me, it was about the technical intelligence element of automation is recognized when you do it. Are you about to blow something up because the whole system's now getting its inputs that's faster true. than it was getting them before? That's very true. All right. That's very true. 
That's right. And I actually was thinking about, I thought you were going to, I thought there was another angle to that too. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there could also be the downstream impact. So you're quick on sort of the first part of the process, but then there's other elements of it that require human intervention. And so at the end of the day, was there any benefit? Like until you look at the, for all end to end, you might spend effort on automating that front part, but then everything else Mm -hmm you know, still takes the yeah. same amount of time. It, 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 those are all t- extensions of yeah. the whole problem, yeah. right? Okay, I sped up this step. Now that step becomes yeah. the next blocker. Yeah. Uh, process automation is a continuous tuning exercise, yeah. right? It's, you know, and, and it, you know, you'll, they'll, they'll, you'll, you'll fix one friction point and that'll let you identify the next friction point, mm-hmm. right? And it'll just keep, you know, and, you know, you think about our early part of our conversation about moving everybody home, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you just put all the workload that used to sit on commercial networks plugged into commercial mm-hmm. d- dedicated links to internet providers and said, now I'm going to put them on residential networks. It's, it's the same thought process. What's the implication of that technology change decision, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that maybe the hub at the corner that's in your, you know, that you and I don't probably even know which box it's sitting in at the corner of the street, right? But that thing isn't designed for the capacity of having everybody at home all at the same yeah. time mm-hmm. because we expect them all to be at work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? And so, um, you know, it's it's an interesting uh, – I, I don't think automation is a bad thing as long as you – certainly put the right technical intelligence thought process around it when you do it to recognize it's not just about me taking what I typed into uh, Excel every day and now saying I'm going to take the very simple automation step of creating a macro in Excel Mm -hmm. to do that work for me. Okay, that's sped it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, now get everybody in the bank to do the same thing. Okay, that's sped it up even more. Okay, now let's just take it off their desk and put it on a central server where all the data is. Mm-hmm. So that'll make it go fast. Every time you take one of those steps, you have to look at the residual cascade through the ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? And eventually something else is going to become that point of friction. Mm-hmm. And it's about understanding, do you have the headroom, the capacity, you know, the um, you know resiliency in your ecosystem to allow those things to happen? Or do you pose a risk by making too much change at once? Wow. This is this has been a great great that love that insight for sure. But this has been a great conversation. And John, I just want to take us back to, you know, um, we met months ago. I don't even know how long ago it was. And I remember one of the things that you had said was, you know, you've had you have decades decades of knowledge, experience, you know, challenges that you've had to overcome, and um, and wanting to find a way to impart you know, and to share just, you know, for the, you know, future generation, for emerging leaders, just for people just to be able to work better um, together. And so, you know, as we think about this topic and we wrap up, what's a call to action? Because I think that that's always really important. I don't want people to just listen. I, I have I have my own personal call to action um, from this one, but, you know, what's a call to action um, that you can share um, to our listeners that they can, you know, leave this and say, okay, that's step I'm going to take. Probably a couple steps there. I think one is, you know, the principles of what we just talked about don't just extend to technology, mm-hmm. right? You know, whatever domain you happen to be an expert in, whether you're truly a technologist or whether it's just understanding the, you know, the evolution of accounting principles or law or whatever, 
the practical element of what you do as a professional is the thing we've just talked about evolving, right? Mm-hmm. So for me and you, it's technology, right? But the the go forward is don't assume your learning ends the day you walk out of school, mm-hmm. right? Your learning is going to keep going from a practical experience perspective throughout your career, and that's going to be critical to your success, right? And then you're going to pair that with other types of intelligence that are very important and figure out how do you solve incrementally more complicated problems as you take, you know, each of the the small learnings you have through your journey and continue. So don't be afraid to learn, right? Um, Challenge yourself to continue to learn. And, uh, you know, you know, I say the way I got comfortable in, in learning how to solve big problems is recognize that, 80% 80% of this problem you've solved in some way before, and there's actually only 20% you have mm-hmm. to learn on the next problem. Mm-hmm. And and once you can figure out, okay, these building blocks I've solved, so what is that thing, right? Think of it like a jigsaw puzzle, yes. right? You start to fill in, okay, I found the frame, I can see this corner, I got all this blue, I don't know what to go, but I'm going to figure it out because that's the part that's the hard part because this starts to all come together, right? Yeah. You just keep building off those techniques yeah. and, t- you know, content, and, you know, but like I said, if, if you, whether it's specifically to technology as we're talking about or the practical nature of any other discipline, mm-hmm. it's really the same process. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Rich, oh my gosh. Yeah. So this, by the way, this is just the first of five. So um, get ready. We are going to be going into emotional intelligence in our next episode. So this, we tackle the TI in this one. And next one, we, we go into emotional EI, I am going to say. So John, thank you so much. I look forward to connecting with you and sharing energy in our next episode. And to all my listeners, this is where I say, we're out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it. I hope you are thriving and feeling empowered and thoroughly enjoyed this episode. And remember, whatever platform you're listening to this on, please subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast with someone else that you think can benefit from the tips that were delivered. As Tom Bilyeu says, when we help others think in a way that is empowering, that is the lead domino to create real change in this world. It's been awesome sharing energy with you. It's your girl and I'm out.